4. And we're going to look at the doctrine of eschatology. I wonder, did any of you look at that text today and be like, I know some of you know what eschatology is, but some, how many of you didn't, don't know what eschatology is? So last things. Just, it just makes you sound real fancy, right? We're learning about eschatology. It makes you sound like a... Um, like you're in a college class almost. But literally, it's just the end times is all this. And so we're literally going to be here probably three or four weeks. And then from here, probably what I'm going to do is I'm going to just, we're going to stick with doctrine, but we're going to go with just big words in the Bible. Justification, election. We're going to go through bigger words and just talk about them and what they mean. And that will be a good thing. And so... Tonight, though, we are going to look at Matthew chapter 24. We're going to read a couple verses, and then as we dive into our notes, there's a lot of this chapter you'll find in your notes. If you've been here any length of time, I've taught through the book of... I haven't, I haven't gone through the book of Revelation. I've gone through the book of Daniel with Matthew 24, and Matthew was written to the Jews. And so a lot of things mentioned here, people will take a little bit out of context and some thoughts... But we'll see how far we get tonight. We might not get through all the notes because we have a lot of them. But let's get into it. Chapter 24, verse number 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See not all these things. Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, just a little thought, and I've said this before. I know they say that there's part of the old temple wall still there, and people pray there, but Jesus said not one stone would be left of it. So I personally don't believe there is any part of the temple left standing today because of what Jesus said. Now, if you want to argue that, I'll just stick with Jesus, and we'll just go down that road. But he says, basically, you've got to understand the temple, there were some extra construction still going on, and Jesus said, it's all going to be gone. It's all going to be leveled, and in 70 A.D. it was. There is no more temple. And one of the things you got to realize is, for the end to come to pass, there's going to be a third temple. And in fact, the Jews have most of the furniture ready for the third temple. There's just not a third temple yet. And at some point, when that third temple gets here, real close to it, we are right on the doorstep. I feel we're on the doorstep right now to the end, and we'll talk more about that here tonight. But look at what it says in verse number 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and the end of the world. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. And then he lists some of the signs of the times leading up to the end. And so we're going to take tonight, and we're going to look at these things, and we, call, we say it's the study or the doctrine of eschatology. It really is the last days. What is going to play out in the last days? What, what's, what's it going to be like? What's going to be happening? When's the Lord going to return? And what we're going to see is, we're going to see what the Bible has to say and what Jesus said in light of the disciples' question. Father, I pray you bless the next few minutes we have. We love you. We need you. We thank you for this time that we can study your word. Thank you for giving us your word. I pray that you would help us tonight, that you'd help us see these things and help help us apply some of these truths to our lives and help us to be able to understand that we need to be getting the gospel out and the time is now. We don't have 
much more time to do your work. I pray that you guide us and help us. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we look here, we look at the ad, verse number 3. It says, And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So the disciples wanted to know three things. You see right there in verse number 3? When shall these things be? What shall be the signs of thy coming and the end of the world? And really, in verse number 4 through 14, Jesus answers their first question, what the, what, when, uh, when shall these things be? Then he answers the what in verse 15 through 26. And then what shall be the signs of the end of the world is found in verse 27 through 31. That's the outline right there. So as we dive in tonight, number one, Roman numeral number one, we see the characteristics of the last days. What does the Bible tell us is going to be the characteristics leading up to the last days? As Jesus answered the question of, as they asked him there in verse number three, when shall these things be? This is the characteristics of what's going to take place. Letter A, we see that there's going to be a false Christianity. Now, in all reality, this has been around all ever since the days of the disciples. There's always been that spirit of Antichrist. And the Bible tells us, you look here in our text, and Jesus said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And so one of the signs or the characteristics of the last days will be this false Christianity. And in all reality, if we're being honest, we've been living in the last days since Jesus went back to heaven. And so you see these things going all the way back. So we are in the last days. We are living in those days. And so we see a false Christianity. And the Bible talks about in Matthew 24, 11, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. There are many people that are going to be deceived by this. And look in our world today. How many false religions are there? How many people have claimed to be Christ? Or, you know, all these different thoughts there. And so you see, one of the characteristics is this false Christianity. Letter B, we see that there will be national and international conflict. The Bible says in verse number 6, of chapter 24, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Hey, when is it? These are the signs, these are the characteristics leading up to it. Verse 7 says, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. So we See that there's going to be national and international conflict. There's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. Don't we see that today? But it's been going on for a long time. There have been wars for many years, many places battling. And right now you see, you know, Ukraine, Russia, and all the time there's always conflict, right? Iran, you have China, you have all these different places. This is a part of the end. These are all things that are going to happen. There will be no true peace in this world till the Prince of Peace comes. There will be a false sense of peace under the Antichrist. But it's a false sense of peace used to want to destroy Israel. And there's more we talk about there. But that's not tonight's lesson. We're looking at the beginning of things. So we see there will be national and international conflict. Let us see. There will be natural disasters. There's going to be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Earthquakes are going to happen. 
And I, how many of you, I've heard tons of messages how there are more earthquakes today than what there's ever been, right? Have you ever heard that? Do you know that's actually been proven false? And there, but people will say anything in a message just to get people riled up. But you think about nat natural disasters. Flooding. Famines. Water shortages. Global warming. Any of those things? There's going to be a lot of natural disasters leading up to it. What else is there going to be? Letter D. There's going to be Jewish persecution. As I mentioned, the book of Matthew is written to the Jews. We look at the next verse there. It says, um, in verse number uh, 9 and 10, it says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And there's going to be, you know, you want to say, and people will say, well, this could be religious persecution too. Okay, let's throw that in there. Jewish persecution, religious persecution. Anyways, as we see here, these things are going to happen more and more. And did you know, actually, if you were to look in history, and we have it very good. In our world today, we have it very good in America. We don't have persecution. But did you know, if you really look around our world today, there are more Christians being persecuted and dying for their faith around the world today than at any other time in the world. It's crazy when you stop to think about it. And then the Bible says that as, and Jesus says, these times get closer and we get closer to the last days. There's going to be a false Christianity. There's going to be wars, rumors of war. There's going to be natural disasters. There's going to be persecution. Letter E, we see that there's going to be abounding sin. Sin will be abounding. The Bible tells us in these verses, as we look in verse number um, 12, it says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And we see the closer we get to the Lord coming, and the, as we get into these last days, sin's going to get worse and worse. If you got this thought in you that sin's going to get better, you've got a problem. It's, this world's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse as we see those days come. So what are some of the characteristics of the last days? A false Christianity, wars and rumors of war, natural disasters. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be sin. And then this is a good one, though, letter F. The spreading of the gospel is going to take place. In the midst of all this, look at what it says there in verse number, it's verse 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So the gospel's going to get everywhere. Do you, do you read that? Do you know there are still, I, was, I mentioned it a while back, there are still many groups of people that do not have the Bible in their language. But I was listening to a, uh, to a group that their whole goal is to get the Bible into every language. And they're saying by the year 2032 that they will have the Bible in every language for every nation anywhere available could that be leading up to that it could be but the bible says the gospel is going to be everywhere then the end comes Do you see that there and i take jesus literally at what he says so there's going to be the spreading of the gospel so as we look and we think on this tonight we see the characteristics of the last days now you could look around us today 
And in all reality, most of these things are playing out before our very eyes right now. But as I've told you, the last days began when Jesus left. When he went back up to heaven, the last days began. So yes, there is that spirit of Antichrist, and there is that false Christianity everywhere among us today. And it only gets worse, and it's going to come to a head when the Antichrist is here. Say, is he here? He could already be here for all that we know. I'm not going to go any deeper on that there, but at some point he will be here. There's going to be wars and rumors of war. Sound like our world today? Yes. There's going to be natural disasters. Do we have that? Yes. Look at Glenn this last week. I believe they got tons of mudslides from all those fires and then the rain the past few days. And so natural disasters among us. Do, do we see that there's religious persecution Jewish persecution, that's been around for a long time. Think back to the Nazis not too long ago. There's a lot that we could say about these things. We look at sin. Do we think that sin is just growing greater and greater in our world today? Yes, it is. And has the gospel gotten everywhere yet? I don't believe it has yet. It's one of the last things that's not there yet. So we see these are the characteristics. This is what Jesus answered and what's going to lead to the end. As we look at that and we think about that, number two tonight, I want to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, as we talk about his second coming, he is coming again. Men have been scoffing about it, and where is he? And people set crazy dates. They do all these different things. We do know for a fact that the Lord is coming. He is coming. We're going to talk about it here just a little bit tonight, some of those thoughts. But the, I want to know, I want you to see, first of all, the Bible tells us in Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming again. Though the world will try to ignore it, though the world wants nothing to do with it, He is coming again. And as we talk about that, I want you to see letter A tonight, the fact of Christ's return. It is fact. It's not fiction. It is fact. There is no greater certainty in the Word of God that the return of Jesus Christ is going to happen. It's one of the great themes of the Bible. It's the blessed hope that we hear about. When we look at this and when we think on this tonight, we see, number one, about that Jesus himself said that he would return. Jesus said that he would return. When we think on that tonight, and we look at what the Bible has to say, and I'm not going to give you, you can look at those verses later on to save some time, but John 14, 3, Jesus said, And if I go prepare a place for you, listen to what Jesus said, I will come again. Do you see, Jesus himself said, I'm going to come again. If I go prepare a place for you, I'm coming again, and I'm going to take you where I've been. And so we see that Jesus himself said this. Number two, we see that angels have said that Christ would return. The Bible tells us in Acts 1.11, as the disciples were just standing there with their mouth, I can just picture them. The disciples all standing there with their mouths open, and the angels are like, what are you staring at? It's like, duh, look at what, we've never seen anything like this. He has disappeared. I'd been staring at it too. But it says, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. The angels declare, he's coming again. This same Jesus, he's coming again. And praise God for that tonight. We see number three. We see the apostles said that Christ would return. And we go through all of the 
going to look at a few of them, but Paul made claims that Christ would return. 1 Thessalonians 4, and we'll be here later on tonight looking at some more thoughts. But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain <clears throat> until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul said, the Lord's coming again. He's going to come, and you're, we're going to be with him. We also see that Peter says these things. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. We see Paul says the Lord's coming. We see that Peter says he's going to come as a thief in the night. That day's coming. James mentions it. James 5, 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Jude talked about it. Jude talked about the fact that Enoch, way back earlier in the Bible, and Enoch was there back towards the beginning, right? And Enoch walked with God and was not. And the Bible says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. This is way back when Enoch was set talking about this. And Jude mentions it. And verse 15 says, To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against. We see that John talks about it. And John says, John in Revelation 1, verse number 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Revelation 22, verse number 20 he which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. We see it is a fact that Jesus is coming again. Letter B. We see the nature of Christ's return. Well, how is it going to work? What, what do we need to know about it tonight? Let me give you some thoughts and break this down as we talk about the nature of Christ's return. First of all, number one, it's a personal return. Jesus is coming again. The Bible said in Acts chapter number 1, verse 11, this same Jesus is a personal return. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, the Lord himself. Jesus said in John 14, 3, I will come again. So when we talk about the nature of his return, we see that it's a personal return. Jesus is coming again. Not only do we see it's a personal return, but number two, we see it's a bodily return. The Bible told us, when we, we've read this verse several times tonight, Acts 1, verse number 11, it says, look at what it says there. 
It says, this same Jesus which was taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner. He had a body when he went up, didn't he? He had a spiritual body. He did not, if you look at Jesus' body, I don't, you look at it, it could go through walls. He could still eat food. There's lots of things we could say about that. But we see he had a body. It's a bodily return. It's not a mystic view of him. It's not a metaphor of him, but it's a bodily return. The Bible tells us in Philippians 3, verse 21, who shall change our vile body that may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the work wherein he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. We see that it's a bodily return. As we continue and we talk about the nature of his return, we see, number three, it's a visible return. It's a visible return. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9, 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The Bible tells us in Revelation 1, 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. The Bible tells us in Matthew 24, 30, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And that's talking about the end, which will explain the difference between the rapture and the second coming, and how it technically is one event divided into two. And we'll explain that here in a couple minutes. It's a visible return. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians, verse number 2 and 3, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. We, and uh, actually, I went, I went down a point, didn't I? Sorry. That was supposed to be under the next point. Sorry, I get carried away. So number four is a sudden return. A sudden return. That's why sometimes I don't like you having my notes, because then you see, oh, pastor went out of place. Yeah, I just got carried away. And I was still, I'm just thinking about the Lord's return, and that just excites me, and I'm not even focused on anything else. But number four is a sudden return. We read that verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, and 3. We'll put that back up there again. It just says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. It's going to be a sudden event that takes place. Number five, it's an imminent return. What we mean by this is Christ could come at any moment. And do you know, in all reality, this boggles my mind. But did you know Jesus doesn't even know the time that he's coming? Say, but he's God. He is God. But the Father knows. Jesus doesn't know. He's going to come when his Father says to. That's just amazing to me when I try to wrap my mind around that. But he's coming. Say, when's he coming? He can come tonight. He can come tomorrow. He can come 50 years from now. His return is imminent. He is coming again, and he's coming soon. And number six, we see it's a premillennial return. 
Now, I will explain the millennium to you another week, not tonight, and we'll go through and explain some of these things. We believe that he will return before the millennial reign. And you say, well, why is that? Well, this is what the Bible says. Revelation 20, verse 2 and 3 says, And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil. What a day that's going to be when Jesus takes him and binds him in hell for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and shall set a seal upon him. They should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years shall be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. The next verse is there in the same chapter, verse 6 and 7. Blessed is he that hath part in the first resurrection. And on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. We believe, and according to what the Bible says, we believe in a pre-millennial return. There are many that say the millennial reign, that's, just a fig, that's not really going to happen. It's not, the Bible says that we're going to reign and rule with him for a thousand years. Satan's been cast into the bottomless pit. We believe that he returns before that. That's what the Bible says. We are simply taking the Bible at what it says. And to do anything other than that is taking the Bible out of context and making God's word a lie. You know, if we really look at it and you think about it, there can be no millennium without Christ. You could really go through, and we're not going to do it tonight, but if you were to break down the book of Zechariah, how many of you have broken down the book of Zechariah before? Not many of us have. One of these days I'm going to preach through the book of Zechariah. It's actually it's an excellent book. They're all excellent. But the book of Zechariah, really, chapter 14, just write down Zechariah 14. And I challenge you later on to go read Zechariah 14. You can see it all right before your eyes. Verse number 2 talks about the tribulation. Verse number 3 and 7 talk about the second coming. Verse 8 through 21 talk about the millennial reign. So take some time and look at that chapter sometime, and that will be good for you. And so we believe in a premillennial return. And then number 7, we believe a, in a two-stage return. We believe in a two-stage return. The day of the Lord is two stages. They're both the day of the Lord, but it comes in two stages. Now, when we say that and we think on this, and I don't want to confuse you, but I want you to understand it comes in two stages. The first stage is the rapture. Now, this is the thing. You study the Bible, you read it. You will not find the word rapture in the Bible. It literally means to be caught up. Where do we get the idea of the rapture from? 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse 16 and 7. Look at what it says. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Rapture. Caught up. There it is. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You got to understand in the rapture at the be the twofold process of the Lord's coming his second coming he does not come to earth in the first part of it. We meet him in the air. You see that in the verses there? So the Lord as we look at this it is two twofold two stages to it. 
we have the rapture to begin with, and the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 and 52, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So we see, as the day of the Lord approaches, and as the coming of the Lord, His second coming, it's twofold. It begins, or two stages, it begins with the rapture. And the rapture simply means to be caught up. The church will be raptured out of here at some point. And I say, well, why in the world should the church be taken out of here? What was God's time clock originally? Daniel chapter number 9. There were 70 weeks of years for God to fulfill all that he was going to do through the Jewish people. The Jewish people cut the Messiah off. When they did, their clock stopped, and there's one seven-year period left for God to work through the Jews. That is the tribulation time. For God to work through the Jews, the church has to be out of here. That's the way it's going to be. And so as we talk about the two stages, we see the first stage is the rapture. The second stage, letter B, is the revelation or the unveiling of Christ to the world. Literally, the word revelation means to reveal. So when you look at the book of Revelation, it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ for who he truly is. It's not Jesus coming, being born in a manger, dying on a cross. No, it is Jesus with flames in his eyes, white hair, and all these things that the book of Revelation says. They see him for who he truly is. It's the unveiling of Christ. Now, as we look at this, and we see, and we think about the revelation, him unveiling himself, we got to go to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. So this is the end, so I don't have time to go through all of it, and I've done enough on this, where if you need more on this topic, I can go deeper into it for you. But when the rapture takes place, it's going to set off a seven-year period, sometime in there here on earth. Once the Antichrist signs the treaty with Israel, it starts that time. Seven years. Is he going to sign that treaty the same day everyone's taken out? Is it going to be a few weeks later? The Bible doesn't say. But when the treaty signed with Israel, the seven-year clock begins. When we've been raptured up to be with the Lord, the judgment seat of Christ is going to take place. The dead in Christ are raised up. And they get their glorified body, like right now, our loved ones that have passed to be with the Lord, they don't have their glorified body yet. Say, well, our, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They are with God right now. But they will get their glorified body when the Lord returns. And if we're alive, we're going to be caught up together to be with the Lord. The judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to take place in heaven during this time. Down here on earth is going to be the seven years of tribulation. Next week, Lord willing, I'm going to talk about the judgments that are opened up on the earth here, the seven judgments next week. And we're going to talk more about hell and all those things in the next few weeks. But what's going to happen is, at the end of the tribulation, there's going to be the battle of Armageddon. At the battle of Armageddon, we're going to see that Jesus comes back to earth. This is the rest of the second coming of Christ, the rapture and his revelation. This is what the Bible says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And remember, in Revelation chapter 6, there was a guy that rode on a white horse, and he showed a peace sign. But he wasn't coming in true peace. It was a picture of the Antichrist. This is the one. The Bible says, 
Behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he that judge and make war. They're going to see Jesus for who he truly is. His eyes were as the flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. It's not going to be those little pictures of Jesus that everybody has. No, his eyes are flames of fire, many, and on his head many crowns, and had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven, hey, that's us, we get to come back with him, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, still having the righteousness of Jesus on us. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it it should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with the rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We see the second coming mentioned here. The revelation, Jesus unveiled. He, will, he spoke this world into existence, and he will speak it out of existence. You could look at and take some time later to look at Luke 21, verse 25 through 27. I want you to give you, you have your notes right there before you. I put letter C, some of the differences between the rapture and the revelation, so you could write those down to help you out to decipher between the two. So when we think about the rapture, first of all, Christ is in the clouds. Joe, I don't know how the notes are set up back there. What does the next slide look like? Okay, so go back to the first one first. Make sure they got that. So with the rapture, the differences between the rapture and the revelation, Christ in the clouds, we meet him in the air. And in your notes, I gave you the verse for that. Then we see for the revelation, Christ is on the earth. He's physically here on earth. And Zechariah 14.4 talks about that. We see at the rapture, there's going to be a time of great joy. Bible talks about that when we're together with the Lord forever. The Bible talks about the revelation that there's going to be a time of gloom. Joel chapter 2, verse number 2. We see at the rapture there's going to be union with Christ. All his people are going to be called up and out of here. There's going to be union with Christ. But at the revelation, there's going to be judgment by Christ. And there's many verses, and you have that listed there in your notes. There. We also see the last, the, the, or the couple other things is, the rapture is always eminent. That means it is coming at any time. There is not a, there are no signs, there, there are signs, but we do not know when it's going to happen. But it's going to happen at a moment's notice. But when you look at the revelation and Jesus coming back, we see that it's preceded by signs. Literally, the tribulation is going to unfold. The battle of Armageddon is going to be taking place. There are things that lead up to the day of the Lord and come in that day. And you also see when you talk about the rapture, you see that it's for um, it's reference to saints, believers. And when you look at the revelation, it's in reference to Israel. Now, some general things that are um, some general similarities. Letter D, some similarities. First one, letter A. Both are sudden and generally unexpected events. They happen pretty quick when they happen. 
Next one is both involve the personal bodily return of Christ. Though he doesn't come to earth in the rapture, but at the revelation he does. And then the thing to remember is the rapture is Christ coming for his saints. The revelation is Christ coming with his saints. That is the difference between the two there. Go back to B for a second, Joe. Personal bodily return of Christ. And so you might have gotten lost in all this, but we're still under the twofold um, return rapture and the revelation, which leads us to point or number eight underneath all these things. We believe in a pre tribulational return. Now, this is the thing. If you're sitting here tonight and you don't believe in a pre-tribulational return of Christ, whatever. I, I'm not going to argue with you. And, you know, at the end of the day, there are three views when it comes to the, comes to the rapture. That's either going to happen before the tribulation, at the midpoint of the tribulation, or at the very end. And if you want to argue about those things, go find someone. Go on Facebook. Go find someone who wants to argue with you. I'll go tell someone about Jesus and let you argue with someone else about this because at the end of the day, it doesn't change your salvation at all. At the end of the day, though, as you study the Bible and as you look at the time clock in the book of Daniel, it's very clear there's a seven-year period where God works through the Jews and the tribulation, the rapture happens before that. And it talks about the Antichrist signing the treaty with Israel. It's all there. Those that believe in a post-trib tribulation take Matthew 24 and most of them not all of them but most of them would say that the church has replaced the Jews which is a fallacy and a false doctrine because we did not replace God set them aside and God works through the church today but God will be working through the Jews once again that's what the Bible says and the Bible is clear on that and so if you want to argue that go find someone else to argue it with I really don't care and I know Sometimes I'll get people after a message like this, they'll come to me and they'll be like, well, I'm going to tell you why I believe in a po I, I really don't care. I don't have time to argue with you or to figure that out. You do your thing. You do you and you can figure that out. If we're here post-trib and the Lord returns, when we get to heaven, I'll tell you you were right. If we get up, when we get there, before the tribulation takes place, when we get there, you can find, no, I'm not, don't even worry about finding me. I'll just be glad to be with Jesus and uh, I'll know that I was right and you were wrong. We'll leave it there. And that'll be fine. So as we bring this to a close tonight, the last thing I want you to see before we um, go tonight would be Roman numeral number three, that Satan is bound for a thousand years. When Jesus comes and he returns and the battle of Armageddon takes place, the Bible tells us a few things that happen at this time. When you see Revelation 19, verse um, 20 and 21, and the beast was taken, and with him a false prophet that wrought miracles. Now, we didn't get into all this, but the devil, you got to understand, the devil wants to mimic everything that God is, right? He wants to be God. So you know how you got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Well, you got the devil, the false prophet, and the beast. You have the three of them. They're a, three, they're a tripart as well. And it's amazing how the beast will end up taking a blow and kind of like die and rise again. And the false prophet will be claiming to everyone that the beast is really what the Bible is talking about. And in all reality, the false prophet is trying to act like the Holy Spirit. The beast is trying to be like Jesus. 
and Satan's trying to be like God. And he's going to have his little moment for a moment, and then it's all going to be done after that. But what Jesus is going to do, he's going to take the beast and the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which also he, and, and with him he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. They were both cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Now, think with me for a minute. When someone dies without Christ today, they are in hell. Satan was bound, and we're going to read that in a second. He was put in the bottom, he was put in hell for a thousand years. The beast and the false prophet skipped going to hell and were thrown into the lake of fire, which is the eternal place where after the great white judgment happens, where everyone goes after that that didn't know Christ. So they were cast in there. Now, something that's interesting, there are many people that would say that um, there's a doctrine that people believe. I've even heard a few of our church people say that they believe it. And just want to give you a little thought on this tonight. I might go deeper into it later, but I might not either. The Bible, they believe in this doctrine of annihilation. That when someone is cast into hell, that they don't live forever. The Lord lets them annihilate and they're done. That's not true with the lake of fire. Because the Bible tells us here that the beast and the false prophet were cast there, right? Do you see as we read that there? Well, look at what the Bible tells us. Um, let me get to the verse, because I want you to see that verse. Look at, um, do you got, it's, I don't know if it's going to be in your notes there or not tonight. Revelation 20, verse number 10. This is what the Bible says. And the devil that deceived them, so remember the devil gets loose after a thousand years, and he deceives more people again. And it says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. This is what the Bible says. Where the beast and the false prophet are. They were still there a thousand years later. So this doctrine of everyone just annihilates once they get to the lake of fire, that's not biblical. The Bible says that a thousand years later, they were still there. And I might talk more about that next week. I might not. But as we think about Satan being bound for a thousand years, we see the fact that the false prophet was cast and the beast were cast into the lake of fire. And the Bible says, And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat on the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And then the Bible tells us in chapter 20, verse 2, And he laid hold, Jesus lays hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him. A thousand years, verse number three says, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him. They should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So we see tonight, we've seen the fact of the events leading up to the end. And we see a lot of those unfolding before our eyes and been here for a long time. We see how the end's going to unfold, and we see things about it. We see that Christ is going to physically return. The Bible's clear on those things. The return of Christ is going to happen. We see that it's twofold. It happens with the rapture and the revelation of Jesus. And then we see that Satan is cast into hell, and then next week we will see the millennial reign, the great white judgment, and go a little bit further. What you got tonight, I literally could take six months 
for two to three hours a week and teach you. I gave it to you in one night. So you might have a bunch of questions in your head after just what I've gone through tonight. And feel free, text me, ask me any questions you got, and I can go a little deeper into it. I'm not going too deep, but trying to go deep enough so that we get a good, firm foundation about the doctrine of the last days. Father,